0: This, who's this Cardi, I, I, who's Cardi B? I don't get this. Who's Cardi B? <laughs> I don't know. I heard about her on NPR of all places. No, oh, jeez. That was my first exposure to her. That and the uh, the Twitter what's trending feed. Okay. Uh, she's a rapper. She was a, an exotic dancer at one point. Mm-hmm. Now she's a rapper. Mm-hmm. Now she's feeding the dreams of millions of. Uh, well, I won't say millions. Let's say hundreds of thousands of uh, young American women out there. No. And maybe women worldwide. I don't know. I just I just finally listened to like Taylor Swift's Reputation. I can't keep up with this anymore. I can't I just... <laughs> keep up with new music. It's too much. Whoa, 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 yeah. John. I. Talk about ancient reputation, are you kidding me? That's that's so passe. That is 2000 and late, my friend. I know. we could age ourselves more. Oh. Hey, who remembers Fergie? Ugh. I'm old and I'm fat and I shouldn't have a podcast. That's pretty much nice. my life right there. John, are you kidding? Those are those are the qualifiers <laughs> for a podcast. Oh, okay, alright. I'm sorry, uh, Mikey Mikey Barbaro isn't exactly a pinnacle of fitness, so... <laughs> what about Doughboys? Let's just turn this into a Doughboys ripoff. <laughs> Yeah, and we could talk about the uh, the Fat Boys, that rap group from the late 80s. Remember them? <laughs> the Fat Boys are back back, 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 and you know they can never be whacked. Remember them? <laughs> no, but no. Greg, I don't know who Cardi B is. You think I'm going to re- remember the Fat Boys? Come on. <laughs> I learned about them on VH1. Okay. Thankfully, VH1 had some great documentary programming, um, very educational. <laughs> it had the uh, EI in the top of the screen. <laughs> it was a program called I Love the 80s. How many series of those do you think they inevitably did? Like four or five, right? So they did three I Love the 80s. Mm-hmm. They did two I Love the 90s. Mm-hmm. One I Love the 70s. I think they did two I Love the 70s. Really? Okay. Maybe you're right. Yeah. And then I know they did <laughs> They did the I, they couldn't wait till the end of the decade of the of the aughts. <laughs> so they did like I Love the uh, Millennium so far. <laughs> and then they did another I Love the uh, New Millennium. Yeah. VH1. And it was all about yeah. It was all about VH1 reality shows. <laughs> uh, I mean, VH1 programming is just it's a, it's a fascinating like Rorschach test. It's just like following the trends, like now it's all drag queen stuff because they have you know RuPaul's Drag Race on there. So now all their program. It used to be all trashy reality shows featuring like washed up celebrities. Now it's all yeah. drag queens. And before that, it was hey remember this? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to feel old. Exactly. Who remembers the uh, the budding romance between Brigitte Nielsen and Flava Flav? Anybody? Anybody? Those are simpler times. Simpler times. Yeah, indeed. Instead of instead of the time we live now, where Donald Trump is president <laughs> and everything is garbage. Everything is garbage. That's not, that's not true. You're doing fine. No, I'm not. No. Nothing's what right. What are you talking about? Nothing's right. Everything's You're terrible. You're still young. You still have your youth. You still live in the- I'm 30. The greatest My life is Over. <laughs> You have you have the love of your life. You have your spouse. You've got you've got things together. You, listen, you have it pretty good, all right. Mm. The grass is literally greener on your side of the porch, okay? Mm. Porch. It's, it's <laughs> San Diego. You should have a dry landscape. You really should. Well, thanks for trying to cheer me up, Greg. But it's just not working. I'm just gonna settle down with some kind of pet. What pet do you think I should get, Greg? As a as a person who's given up, who's just mm. like officially said like I am dead to the world. What kind of pet do you think I should get? Well, there's only one logical answer. What's that? A ferret. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think yeah. those are illegal. But okay. <laughs> well, what about? I I know iguanas are a good choice. I think like iguanas make you look like a little exotic, a little out there. No, I don't have a samurai sword. Okay, Guanas are for people <laughs> with samurai sword collections. Okay. John, they're called katanas. All right. <laughs> Get it right. Okay. I'm. I'm. I, you're welcome to uh, see my collection. My brace of katanas. <laughs> alongside my framed Scarface poster (laughs) and uh, my collection of uh, 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 pristine manga still in the packaging (laughs) no you don't put the manga I think you meant Funko Pop uh, figures Uh, oh right Funko Pop figures here's the bride from Kill Bill (laughs) (laughs) Greg here's what I was thinking for a pet sure I was thinking possibly a cat no because after all I'm not just a cat person I am. Cat people. It's just the fear of losing you. Don't you know my name? Will you've been so long. And I've been putting out fire With gasoline Don't you contain multitudes. You have multiple personalities yes, at all. Multiple personalities. All of them love cats. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that's your that's your persona. That's your. <laughs> My first one is actually a wolf. Oh a okay. It's always so we can wolves, do some Yeah. Because <laughs> cats don't yiff Greg. You need something that yips. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, I know that got you aroused, didn't it? Saying that word. I remember I rewatched Utopia recently, and I remember seeing all the the beefed up. uh uh, tigers at the end with that Shakira dance number and thinking, oh, no, this is awakening something in me, isn't it? Uh, again, let's get off this subject. <laughs> Any Speaking event. of which, look who, look who decided to join me. It's my it's my current cat, Willow. Hi, uh, you stupid, annoying uh, little meow I know, yeah. Willow is, um, for those that don't know, Willow is a monster. If often, sometimes you'll hear her in the background if we can't edit her out of the recording. Um, mm-hmm. I I wish, honestly, this is going to sound cruel, John, I wish I could edit her out of your lives. (laughs) Oh, Greg. She's 12 years old, so she's not long for this world. We just that's that's counting down the days. Again, John, she's a prick, and as we know, pricks live forever. This is true. (laughs) Pat Roberts is still alive. (laughs) Fresh Limbaugh's still alive. (laughs) Pat Roberts can bench 200, okay? (laughs) He'll never die. (laughs) No. But anyway, it's possible that people have never heard of the movie Cat People. I certainly hadn't. No. Now, I had. Uh, thanks to the fine people at Filmstruck for pushing it a lot on their Twitter feed. <laughs> but, John, let me give you some of this film's pedigree. Yes, please do. Get, what, what, is this, what is this movie's cultural significance? Well, it starts with... I, I initially, it received kind of a mixed reception at the box office. Mm-hmm. However, as years progressed, people uh, admired its atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's uh, defining characteristics of the horror genre. Okay. And so with that, it's been included in um, the National Registry for Culturally and Aesthetically Important Films. It's among Roger Ebert's Great Movies list I believe, 500 or so now. (laughs) Wait a minute, really? Yep. Like it made it into the book? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. 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 It's also among, uh, speaking of books, it's also among the 1001 movies you have to see before you die. Mm Mm-hmm. And most importantly, the market quality. It was remade in the early nineteen eighties. Perfect. Yes. You know what <laughs> the else? Golden a golden era of old uh, uh, horror remakes. Yes. Like The Blob, Body Heat, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. and of course, lest we forget, The Thing. Yes. Uh, so yeah, golden era of when again Hollywood was out of ideas, but you know they had the right <laughs> directors to really usher this uh, material along. Of course. <laughs> Do you know what else is a remake, John? What's that? The Wizard of Oz. What? It's, yes. The Wizard of Oz was a bestseller in the uh, teens, the nineteen teens. So uh, it was made a lot as a or as kind of like these short Nickelodeon movies until finally in nineteen thirty nine it was uh they put all this production value into it and now it's the classic that it's known of today. <laughs> Another great horror pioneer The yeah, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Well so John, what I'm saying, is Cat People as good as the Wizard of Oz? Yes. <laughs> Well, okay, so the reason why it's such a landmark film is because mm-hmm. it did pioneer one kind of tool of the trade that a lot of horror movies use, and it's called the Luton Bus. Yeah, that, that was the name that the trope was given. However, you've seen this trope uh, about 10 million times since. It's as, as ubiquitous as Chekhov's gun at this point, Yeah. which is you have a scene where we're slowly building up tension, and it's building you up thinking that something's going to jump out and attack you. It's something's going to jump out and attack you, and then loud noise, and it turns out to be nothing. Yeah, and tension released. Mm -hmm. Now, and ironically enough, most of the time in this, in the instance of this movie, it was a bus. uh, Mm -hmm. But now, in most horror movies, now it is a cat. It is indeed a cat, (laughs) harmless. Yes, Um, it was one episode of Community where it's kind of a horror spoof, and at one point, like a cat jumps out and they spook him. Then they go, and then another cat jumps out, and it happens like three or four more (laughs) times. And they're like, "What is this cat doing?" (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I, I like how you make this uh, palatable for the audience by referencing Chekhov's gun and then the sitcom *Community*. Oh, I'm sorry, you wanted to show Oh, all right, fine. Let's just talk about *Wizard of Oz* for the rest of the hour. Okay, <laughs> people know *Wizard of Oz*. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, anyway, John, about... let's get
0: to the let's get to the premise and, and kind we're of. We're here what... to talk about cat people. We are all yeah. over the place. Yeah, and John, it's, let's it's explain like... the premise. Yeah, that's, let's let's get people let's draw people in. Okay, so the premise is. Two people fall in love instantly. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and so we should explain the, the premise of the movie is that a, uh, a guy named Oliver pines for a uh, Serbian woman named Elena. Um, however, she's resistant to his charms. Uh, they feel their love is forbidden. Why? Because she feels that she is cursed. Um, if she gets either angered or sexually aroused, she turns into a big cat like a panther. Mm-hmm. And is primed and- to attack. And this is because of some kind of ancient legend involving Ch- King Charles who conquered the land and killed all the evil cat spirits. I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole big backstory. Mm-hmm. But the problem is <laughs> that this relationship happens so quickly over the movie. They literally meet. He instantly starts hitting on her. And the next scene, we're kind of cut, and it's implied that like three months have passed or something, and they're already dating. And then another three months passed, and they're engaged. Well, I I was gonna say this is another mark of the film's quality. Its runtime is 74 minutes. <laughs> Very efficient. Uh, John, you and I have been watching like these three-hour movies for the past couple of weeks. Yes. I I just adore the runtime of this movie. I'm a busy man, <laughs> and so I I just love a quick 70-minute story. Boom, done. Moving on. And so yes, it the the relationship in this movie is compressed. Uh, however, I thought it would be like um, to make it analogous to a contemporary story i thought this would be like twilight of mm-hmm. uh, if, if, if for those who remember uh twilight was that very popular book and movie series that women are now embarrassed about liking <laughs> <laughs> but the premise of that story was that uh a woman pines for a guy who uh, who's resistant to her because he can't control his uh vampire urges and it's kind of the same story here there's a woman who feels that you know when she gets sexually aroused she can't comp- control this, uh, these animalistic urges inside her. Exactly. But I found... In how but quickly, the difference is... Yeah, the difference is... With Twilight, they're working their way up to the marriage. That's kind of the grand finale. They eventually do get married. Yeah. Here, it's like, it's passed off in a single cut. Like, oh, that's your wife over there. Okay, cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I thought it was a good kind of portrait of marriage, because... No! Yeah, makes, it doesn't make any sense, because it's like, I love you. I love you too, but I can't. <laughs> okay, let's just continue this relationship. John, it then. was John. It was a different time. All right. <laughs> yes, uh, I think they get na- married within the first twenty minutes or so after two dates. <laughs> well, it has to be in the first twenty minutes. It's only a seventy-three-minute movie. <laughs> exactly. So, but I, I, found it interesting how they kind of live separate lives at this point. Um, it's imply. Uh, I don't know exactly what Oliver does, but he's like an architect or something like that. He. Okay, you know what he does? Yes. He's he works for a shipping company. And this is before the time of radios and basically technology, so what he has to do is he has to plan the shipping routes. So that's what he's constantly doing. That's why he's always spending late nights, and they're tracking, you know, oh, to this point, to this latitude, to this longitude. And that's why he has that T-square, which becomes kind of an important prop later on. Okay. I thought that was more surveying or something like that, but... And I event, think it was I, you do get a quick little scene where it's like uh, an establishing shot into his building and its some kind of shipping company. Got it, so yeah. I, I miss that I miss that little detail. That's however, fun. she's an artist. <laughs> I don't blame you yeah <laughs> she is an artist, um probably gets no income from that. Uh, however, she has a beautiful a beautiful apartment with a view of Central Park. <laughs> she obviously doesn't make any money as an artist because all she draws are cats being stabbed yeah. <laughs> and then throws, and then throws the uh, the <laughs> sketches away. <laughs> That's, that's how they meet cute. Um, she's, she attempts to throw one of her sketches away. Uh, however, it misses the basket. Mm. And then this, the charming Oliver says, like, oh, 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 no littering. And, you know, introduces himself <laughs> from there. And he points to the sign. The no littering sign doesn't simply say no littering. It's instead some kind of poem where it says, like, thou shall not shame the earth with your cr- criminal acts or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I just know the phrase in there is, like, uh, before she comes. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah. I thought that was a little implication there. In any event, <laughs> yes. So, yes, they meet you. So, you, you couldn't buy into the premise... Or not? In, you couldn't buy into the kind of compressed timeline where they're like instantly married and already in this relationship. No, it's I don't have a problem with the premise. I like kind of the fact that this is the underlying theme of this movie is female sexuality, and mm. how you know it needs to be repressed. Granted, that's a very 1940s way of expressing <laughs> it. I'd like to see how the remake kind of handled it differently, or maybe what a modern-day movie would do. Uh, I could see them, in maybe if modern-day, they would kind of make her more of an avenging femme fatale or something like that. I don't know. Make it a little more sex-positive. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just, like, it's so compressed. And, again, I had a hard time wondering why Oliver was, like, putting up with her. And also the fact that Oliver puts up with it for so long until he doesn't. And again, it doesn't even imply that he's, like, putting up with a lot. There's not a lot of dramatic stakes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I still bought the relationship. I was going to say, I wasn't going to interrupt you, but he loves her. <laughs> like, there's some... There's a... I think there's an attraction there. Yeah, obviously. She's an attractive woman, and we know he's attracted to her, but it's like, there's no implication of an actual relationship. He's just like, okay, I love you. Let's start dating. Okay, let's move in together. Oh, okay, let's get married. Like, it feels so much like they're going through the motions, but not intentionally like they're going through the motions. It's just like, this is the way the plot needs to progress. I don't know. I, I Maybe I was just more amenable to that kind of very baseline, you know, affection <laughs> that they have for one another. Again, I thought it was interesting as the plot progressed and he suggests that she go to therapy, and that's mm-hmm. when we get introduced to our, like, Vincent Price character. <laughs> yes, the, the villain of the piece, Dr. Jude. Yeah, he, uh, he's not played by Vincent Price. However, he might as well be. He's got this hump, <laughs> yes. very, very um, stentorian yet creepy vibe, <laughs> and he's also like he—he uh, he doesn't just like sit there and talk. He uses obviously hypnosis and sensory deprivation. <laughs> You're late, aren't you? I kept my appointment. You see, I've never believed your story. I'm not afraid of. you in my arms, so little, so soft. So warm perfume in your hair, your body. Don't be afraid of me, Rena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also it's weirdly implied that he's, like, sexually aroused by her, too, and starts putting the moves on her towards the end. I guess also to kind of imply that, you know, he really was a creep. He really did not have her best interests at heart. No. So, no. I will say, uh, but there is one scene that kind of uh, speaks to Oliver's discontentment, and that's Mm -hmm. when he's with his secretary at work. Her name is Alice. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this I also thought was interesting in theory, but in practice it all completely fell apart. Okay, um, well, we should explain that he confides. They have this great chemistry. They have this kind of like ratatat, you know. They have this uh, great his girl Friday energy. Yeah, um, they you know little quips at each other, little digs mm-hmm. and insults and things like that. But again, it's great yes. chemistry. And mm-hmm. but he confides in her like, yeah, I'm really unhappy in my marriage. And mm-hmm. he says, I, I wrote it down here. I've never been unhappy. And I thought <laughs> uh, it kind of speaks to actually white male privilege a little bit. <laughs> You know I'm thinking this Oliver guy's probably lived like a, a pretty frictionless existence to this point. Um, well, obviously, like look how quickly he met this girl and married her. Like yeah. obviously, he's never faced any true struggles. Yeah. And so, so this whole idea of like, oh, she won't have sex with me. Ugh. So I thought it was <laughs> she a need, great. She clearly needs to go to therapy. <laughs> She's hysterical. Yeah, I thought it was a great, uh, great progression to, to speak to kind of his privilege as a white male, saying, oh, something's not going my way. <laughs> yeah, but was that the intention of the movie? I, I, well, I, I can't speak to intention, but but it can't speak to results, and I do, <laughs> I do like the result of that scene, and I like the little yes. drama that it implicates. Because again I, again, I thought this would be about, as you said, like, uh, feminine sexuality and kind of the repression of it. I thought it was a really interesting portrait of a marriage that's not working. <laughs> but again, the marriage just kind of like happens in the background, and I never got a sense that the marriage was actually anything real. Again, it's just kind of like background it's just oh we're married now okay because this is what you do in relationships oh we're not having sex because she's like hysterical mm oh well it's I, so I, I never you know well it for I, obviously he's just raised the the specter of doubt in his marriage to a woman yeah, but, that he, he also has somewhat affection for clearly. but I never see that in the acting <laughs> we only know that uh, because he confesses that to her oh I see okay so now you're speaking to the performance of Kent Smith <laughs> exactly um, not exactly not exactly a legendary figure in Hollywood, for reasons that are abundant in this movie. And it's never communicated, like, visually. Again, this movie is just, it's so fleet of foot. It's just, oh, we're married, oh, this relationship isn't working out, oh, I'm falling in love with this other woman. The, well, no, it's not, that aspect of the story isn't communicated visually, but what is, I think, and what this, where this movie really excels, is in the atmosphere. Absolutely. Is in where something is clearly wrong here. Um mm-hmm. It starts in their very ornate apartment, <laughs> <laughs> very shadowy, very noir-esque, yeah, uh, enormous ceilings, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, like stuff like the bird cage. Like we get to what really raises the implication is that uh, Elena inadvertently gives the bird a heart attack and it dies, <laughs> 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 to kind of you know up the stakes and up the threat that she presents as a as a potential cat person. <laughs> exactly. So and there's that, and there's also the zoo itself. Like she goes, she sneaks into the zoo at night um, and goes mm-hmm. into the big cat cages. So th- those scenes work atmospherically as well as well as when um, Alice is being chased, or what she appears, she thinks she's being chased by this big cat who's either been loosed from the zoo or could be Elena, or could be Elena herself. Mm. Like so, I think that sort of tension is what's communicated. Maybe the plot, the structure itself of the plot, is has to be you know done through dialogue and and exposition and things like that but i still got wrapped up in the atmosphere of the movie oh absolutely and uh, you're absolutely right this is the best part of the movie and there's so much interesting blocking going on and kind of visual cues for instance when Uh, uh, Arena is like talking about this curse and kind of the backstory of her whole village she kind of walks back and puts her back against a wall and there's a painting behind her Mm -hmm. and what's in the painting a bunch of little cats kind of like tucked in the corner and the way she's positioned do you think the cats are looking at her and then there's another scene where she's like crying she's almost at the end of the rope and she starts clawing at the couch and you see it's kind of like scratch marks from a big cat yeah. So there's lots of things visually interesting that are happening in this movie, but the story is so thin, and it doesn't really have a grasp of the message it's trying to say. Like this whole again, like female sexuality needs to be repressed. Because well, maybe you, okay, so you think it it is on the side of like she needs to hide her animalistic instincts and her sexual urges. You think that's what it's trying to convey? Oh, absolutely. All right. And I, you know why, because I didn't want to jump this far ahead, but let's talk about the ending. <laughs> well, okay, like, what what else did you... You, you saw it in the ending. That's what that, that was my big problem with the movie, is I think we joke that the premise is that a woman is afraid she's going to turn into a cat when she's mm-hmm. aroused or angry. Yeah. But that threat, it, it very slowly over the course of its 70-minute runtime, <laughs> it only builds to that toward, towards the end, really. Mm-hmm. And so I wish there were more... Again, like uh, if we're talking about a normal horror film, more little plot points that implicate the the threat that's going on here. Uh, we mentioned that she inadvertently kills the bird, like stresses out the bird and and it dies in its cage exactly that that happens that happens twenty minutes into the movie <laughs> mm-hmm. the the kind of first sign that something is wrong, like other than as we mentioned earlier the the atmosphere and maybe the music are really lending to lending to the the impending threat. but that's the first kind of like plot point we reach, yeah. And again, going back to the big pioneering moment of this movie, which is the bus, mm-hmm. where Alice feels like she's being stalked by this big cat. She hears the paws, and she hears the growls, and then all of a sudden, jump scare? Oh, wait, it was just the bus. What happens? She gets on the bus, and she gets away. <laughs> That's where the scene ends, you're right. Exactly, whereas like nowadays, modern horror movies, they'll trick you like that, but then they'll get you with the real jump scare. Yeah, And there are no real jump scares in this movie. Again, only one person dies, and that's yeah. Dr. Judd. Yeah, well, when you say jump scare, you mean like real threats and death. Exactly. Come on, sister. Are you riding with me or ain't you? And one of the weird things is, like, Irina is the only one who's kind of invested in protecting herself. It's like her husband, like, at first kind of seems... Again, he's just so laissez-faire. He's like, oh, that's ridiculous. You're just being silly. And then he's like, well, maybe you should go see a psychiatrist. And only towards the end is he finally like, oh, my gosh, she's off the reservation. She's crazy. (laughs) And again, it's not like she's really crazy. It's just she goes on long walks sometimes. Like, this movie doesn't really have enough dramatic stakes. There's not enough going on. Like, going back to another movie we revisited for this uh, podcast, Suspiria. Suspiria is all about atmosphere. It's all about that production design. But again, going underneath the story, there's nothing there. It's so thin. And I feel like this is the exact same situation, where it's, like, visually and atmospherically, this movie works like gangbusters, but it's, like, story-wise, acting-wise, character-wise... There's nothing. It's thin gruel. <laughs> well, I I, I I think I found more, more interest in the, the kind of portrait of a marriage here and the, the fact that there is no intimacy between these two people. No, yeah. And I also found, well, in one contrast that we have to Suspiria, Suspiria, we know that it's a ghost in the supernatural. Here, what mm-hmm. I liked about Cat People is we don't quite exactly know whether her... Fears are justified, or whether you know she's um, she's psychotic and is relying on other like logical themes to kind of point this out because we do see that uh, at one point Alice is being stalked by a big cat, but they introduced earlier that Elaine or I want to get her name right Arena (laughs) gets the key to the cage in the zoo. Yeah, she steals it from the janitor or something yes, like that. Yeah. And it also implicate I think, you know, one thing I also found interesting is that uh Oliver and Alice have these little rendezvous in a in a restaurant after work, and that's what arouses, you know, Arena's anger, which can also again as they implicate turn her into a cat. So there is there is something going on there. That I also found interesting is that this uh, female rivalry that we have going on. But yeah, and again, it's like again about that whole it goes back to that whole theme that's like female feelings need to be repressed. And <laughs> women are hysterical. Like, And that's an interesting idea to play with. But again, we kind of skip this. Going back to the ending, how does it end? Irina lets the big cat out. Metaphorically and physically. She uh-huh. goes to the panther cage. She lets the big panther out of the cage. And what does the panther do? Attacks and kills her. <laughs> and escapes. And then... Uh, shoot, I keep forgetting their names. Alice... And, and oliver alice and oliver see what has happened they see her dead body and they're like oh what a pity and then they walk away <laughs> well you know I've, i'm trying to think what other ways the story can conclude really <laughs> yeah but okay so yes unambiguously they are saying that this this is a threatening you know metaphor for <laughs> uh, female sexuality just kind of like letting it letting it free not just female sexuality just female emotions in general because you it's think not so? just sec- it's not just sexuality it's jealousy that also kind of causes this big cat to manifest okay i because again it- when alice enters the picture and when her and oliver kind of start building this budding relationship is when the big cat is kind of released and mm. she even mentions it. It's like you know, any kind of emotion I have that's heightened, whether it's you know sexual arousal or jealousy, that's when the evil kind of seeps in. That's when the sin kind of gets out. Okay. Well. Yeah. I feel if like we see this through a modern mm. lens. <laughs> and that's your problem. You're looking at this too much through a modern lens. Uh, maybe you I'm, you're right, I'm yeah. too woke, and I I, I see the <laughs> I see the implications. No, I, I you're right. You know, all This is not gets off sex positive Green. enough. <laughs> Where's the sex-positive version? <laughs> Oliver gets, you're right, Oliver gets off scot-free <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't, yeah, there's, there's not enough progression for him in the story. All I can do is suggest to Arena, you know, go, go see therapy, but he doesn't, he doesn't change. You know, all I could see was kind of that privilege of, like, I've never been unhappy in my life until I've reached this marriage and I didn't get exactly what I wanted out of it. <laughs> yeah, and but now, again, but he, does he walks away the with, hero and he gets happy at the end. He, like, he gets yeah. his happiness at the end. So it's like, what does that tell you? Well, it tells me about uh, white male privilege and how toxic it is. <laughs> but again, the movie's on his side. Yeah, the movie's right. like, yes, good thing, status quo preserved. You're, you're, you're Stamp right. of approval. Yeah. You know, John, maybe, maybe you're overthinking this. It was just a good entertaining <laughs> horror movie. <laughs> you're right. We, we overthink things too much on this podcast. <laughs> Let's just give it a thumbs up, thumbs yay or nay no i I know i'm glad I'm glad we have this kind of like incisive you know commentary because mm-hmm. um again, like this is supposed to be a seminal moment in horror films, and I think structurally y- you can see a lot between the tension that's built up when Alice is getting chased through the tunnel in Central Park, mm-hmm. yeah, or when uh Dr. Lewis or um, the psychiatrist comes over and makes his makes his uh feelings known towards the mm-hmm. arena mm-hmm. So and later gets attacked for that, you know. So there, those scenes really work. Um, so it kind of works on that level. But you are right; uh, it's kind of based on this really, you know, kind of negative premise that, you know, perhaps um, like sexuality is something you know dangerous or, <laughs> you know, could could be kind of fraught with violence. And well, so again, it just it perpetuates the stereotype that women are hysterical. It's like they let the emotions get the better of them, regardless of whether the they're erotic in nature or not? It's just women need to be contained, yeah, because they're just—they're too much. They're too much. Well, they're too animalistic by nature. Uh, well, let's go back to that Twilight comparison, because that's from a—that's uh, now the guy is the sexually violent one, That's or potentially true. He's the or one one potentially needs- violent one from his from his sexual nature. I guess, but it's also about her and her resisting her urges as well, because. As, as, like, again, I haven't read too many scalding hot takes on Twilight, but... <laughs> no, you haven't even from read the what book. It, <laughs> but we should probably point out the difference is that Twilight was written by a woman, so... Yeah. But again, like, the other kind of negative implication of that book is that uh, the main character, whatever her name is, I'll call her Stephanie Meyer, uh, <laughs> Stephanie Meyer, like, wants him to take over. She wants him to kind of ravage her, and she also needs to, like, keep herself at bay keep her emotions at bay. They both need to like you know, keep gird their loins. It's an equal partnership. Cuz again, it was written by a Mormon, so obviously <laughs> that's the that's the ultimate moral of the story. I I don't know. I I maybe maybe over the course of four books she could add a little bit more nuance to that maybe. Because it does end with a with a family, right? Doesn't doesn't she have a kid and you know they they end up in a happy marriage, isn't that right? Well, of course they end up in a happy of course they have a happy ending at the end, but it's like there's they they have a baby, but the baby like turns into some kind of supernatural creature that grows up too fast and eventually marries the werewolf kid. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, see, you're making I all gotta, these assumptions, Craig. You yeah. got you got to get it on your twilight. I forgot. I, I'm actually glad you mentioned a werewolf character because it. I I also it was drawn back to comparisons with the Wolf Man. Mm -hmm. which came out just before this I believe and that's also you can also say that's similar themes about uh, you know people fighting their violent animalistic natures Um, Mm -hmm. but what's I think more interesting about cat people is it is much more introspective no you're absolutely right and I'm reading a little bit of trivia about this movie. That's why it almost didn't get made or didn't get released is because the studio was like, uh, this is a little too cerebral. So I do want to give it credit for that. It is very atmospheric and it is very deliberately paced, but it's just still not enough going on there. It's like you can have, and this is something I've been ruminating on a lot recently as we've been doing this podcast, you can mm-hmm. have a movie that's great, but also boring <laughs> and you can have a movie that's terrible but you're never bored watching it. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't I don't see that that dichotomy there. But oh, I see that dichotomy all the time. Okay, <laughs> like in the mood for love. That's a pretty slow movie. Let's be honest. I well, John, you're only comparing it but to a Pacific movie But Pacific Rim 2: Uprising. That movie never fails to disappoint. <laughs> Uh, Lies, wrong, <laughs> wrong. Both take place in Hong Kong, so I thought that I... was a great. There was a great tie-in for both. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred years apart, I believe. <laughs> shows uh, shows how much uh, progress we can make as a as a species. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two people that can't connect in 1962, and um, <laughs> giant robots fighting giant monsters. And... Oh, I, I wanted to make a sequel in the Mood for Love, set in the near in the sci-fi future. <laughs> okay. oh, oh, he, he did. Robots. Oh, he did? Yes, it's called um, 2046. No way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's uh, Tony Leung and uh, uh, Maggie Chung. Um, also, you know, not, not quite, uh, you know, kind of forlorn people, you know, also looking for a, a human connection. Aww. And they find it in this hotel room in the future. Also Aww. called 2046. What a coincidence. <laughs> I prefer room 237. Ew, oh. that's a nerd reference for all my you know, Kubrick heads <laughs> And for anybody who watched Ready Player One Anyway,
1: <laughs> anyway No, John. they don't get it They don't get it like I
0: get it Okay, I saw The Shining first They would appreciate be- it like I do I can't believe I can't. John, you didn't watch this 80 year old horror movie <laughs> John, now you and I can say I, I can't believe it, you've never seen Cat People This, movie, <laughs> this horror movie from 80 years ago I know our reference our reference points now have to get more and more obscure as the as history continues on. It's going to get so hard. Exactly. <laughs> like, Excuse me, you haven't seen the original Wizard of Oz, the Nickelodeon, the black and white Nickelodeon, <laughs> the Nickelodeon from 1914. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you are missing out, my friend. And then the kids, and then the kids flip down their visors and so whatever grandpa and then they turn on their cerebral internet skull thingies yeah. side. <laughs> anyway, it's the future. Welcome to the future. <laughs> or <laughs> in the future now yes Sorry, you didn't have a such a positive reaction to cat people. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good as far as eighty year old horror movies go. <laughs> pretty solid. It has its qualities and it has its moments, but mm-hmm. um, I think altogether as a whole, it doesn't really hold up. Okay, fair enough. Well, just it's just to... it's it's like some kind of like pet that you have in your house that just kind of like listlessly wanders around <laughs> and kind of like lays in sunbeams. I wish it was a good metaphor for this. Mm. Oh well. I think it's that ferret, you know. Or that iguana. The iguana, they love the sunlight, you know. They love sunlight. They're cold-blooded animals, so. Mm -hmm. Like me, I'm (laughs) cold-blooded. That's not true. I'm cold-blooded. I hate Willow, so. (laughs) She bit me once. She's a monster. (laughs) I'm watching her lying in the sunbeam right now. Stupid fat ass. (laughs) That's not true. We love all of God's creatures. (laughs) And speaking of loving all God's creatures, let's recommend a few, shall we? Yes. Well, they may not be God's creatures, but they're they're God's <laughs> product. They're product of uh, human ingenuity and faith. Yes. So <laughs> so yes, yeah, so let's get to our Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. 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 John, explain your Spotlight. <laughs> Um, because I've been, you know, crippled by such ennui recently, I thought I could I could use some... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> did, did cat people really do that to you? Or is it... No, it's your age. It's your age. Just and... in my age. Just, you know, right now, it's just... Yeah, there's, there's stuff going on in life, and I'm just like, ugh. What's the point? Why does it matter? Ugh, let's just put on some Netflix and just slowly die. Um, but thankfully, Netflix provided me a few programs that lifted my spirits. Oh, boy. Yes. And the first one I want to recommend is a cooking competition show called Nailed It. <laughs> I've, he- I've heard of this show. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to sample it yet, but already I love the premise. <laughs> um, it's kind of like their version of Worst Cooks in America where they take amateur bakers, they give them some beautifully crafted cake or confectionery treat and say, hey, please recreate it within the allotted time. And obviously they do a terrible job, mm-hmm. but they, at the end they're like, "You nailed it." <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Wait, like taste wiser. Um, taste wise, sometimes not always successfully, but like okay. they give them, they give them, they're much more positive than I would be. <laughs> All right, <laughs> they're very encouraging, which oh, I, I do kind of appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hosted by a comedian named Nicole Byer. I don't know if you. Oh, heard I her, recognize but, her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a rising star, and who can generously be uh told it's she's a bit much but that's kind of the point. <laughs> what what do you mean John? That's that sounds like a little implicit sexism there like a bit much. <laughs> you can't deal with her feminine energy? She's she's a big woman with a big personality to match, let's just say that. Okay. And they've kind of written that into the show because in the second round of the show um two buttons are awarded. One is a button that basically one of the judges can come over and help you for like two minutes, Uh because obviously these people are amateur bakers. They need a lot of help. Um, But then there's another button awarded to another player where you can press it, and Nicole will come out and annoy the other contestants for five minutes. Brilliant. And boy, is she really good at her job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, give us an example. (laughs) I can't even, I can't even. <laughs> okay, fair enough. She's, she's paralyzed she, you, it seems. <laughs> she's, she's, she's hilarious, and she's a very talented comedian, but, you know, when, when she's called on to, like, annoy and distract, oh boy, does she, does she do her job in spades. Okay. What's but it's a, it's a really fun show, and again, I, I like the positivity of it, but that's not even the most positive reality programming on Netflix Okay. What and is for it? my my other half of Spotlight, I want to recommend the new revival of Queer Eye. <laughs> uh, Queer Eye. Queer Eye. Is that is that what it's called now? <laughs> that we're it's getting just, shorter. It's, it's just... like you know, just Tomb Raider. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's called Queer Eye because again, it used to be called Queer Eye for the straight guy, yeah. And they've kind of expanded their repertoire, so now they actually do help um, other gay men. And I haven't watched the whole series, but I assume they probably at one point will help like a trans man dress better or something like that. Okay. 'Cause that's, you know, sufficiently woke. Okay. Uh, oh, I see. Oh, so we're getting woke now. Because yeah, I, I don't know, I, I I know of the original show and I just thought, hey, it's a it's a fun premise, like let's make up this schlubby guy mm-hmm. so that they, you know, dress better and have like perfectly coiffed hair and stuff like that. And that's funny. Um, but then I saw an ad for this show and it was like, Harvey Milk, Billy Jean King. <laughs> the queer eyed people have been fighting for civil rights, you know, for <laughs>
1: Like, I don't,
0: I <laughs> just take your, just take your, just make a silly show or whatever and have fun with it. Like, why, they do have fun with it. Okay. But again, there is this kind of like, there is this undercurrent where it's like, what they're not teaching them is like how to be gayer. What they're teaching them is confidence. Okay. And the idea that uh, gay men are, are naturally more confident because again, they come from a more uh, a, a background of self-hatred. And so what they're oh, trying I see. to see. Okay. Yeah, and so and that's what makes this show much better than the original is the fact that we do kind of delve into the Fab Five's backstories. They kind of come from it from a more personal perspective as opposed to the original, which is like five gay homungulous show up at your house and say, <laughs> We will fix you now <laughs> <laughs> John, don't talk about that Carson guy that way. <laughs> right? His name's Carson. That's the only one I can remember. <laughs> Don't forget Ted Allen. Come on. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I thought he was <laughs> yes. just the chop guy. I didn't know he was on that show. No, of course he was the cooking guy. Okay. The but cooking is, by the way, still the weakest aspect of the show. Because really, all he can do is teach him how to make like a little appetizer. What? <laughs> well, I guess yeah. They don't have time. Yeah, exactly. But come on. How hard is it to I don't know make chicken or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's 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 really fun. And again, it's like I mean, part of it's also a little trite. Like so. Kamaro Brown is one of the Fab Five, and he's the one who's kind of in charge of teaching them, quote-unquote, yeah, first, first of all, can I, can I stop you there, if what? we're going to be talking about being woke, yeah. and how much calling them the Fab Five is cultural appropriation? <laughs> Why <laughs> do you <he> say that? Because <laughs> the original Fab Five was, of course, the class of five freshmen who played, including Chris Weber, Juwan Howard, <laughs> and Jalen Rose, who played at uh, University of Michigan uh, from 1992 till 1994, so... <laughs> Again, again, just taking away whatever reputation that these five young black men had, and now casting it onto the the uh, uh, gay TV show. But mm. whatever. Wow. Yeah. And no one cared. <laughs> no one cared. Oh, everybody will be. Uh, play. I'll I'll get this trending. Real fab <laughs> hashtag realfab five, and then we'll get uh, Jalen Rose on it, and he'll complain on his radio show for five minutes, and that'll be it. <laughs> So, like, um, the point I was trying to make was Kamaro yeah. <laughs> Brown is the one who's in charge of culture, but basically he's there to be the black Dr. Phil. He's like he basically comes in that just filled my my head with images. He basically comes in it's like so why do you why do you think you you know you dressed this way? Why do you think you've like what has brought you to this lowly state basically in so many words. And basically it's always like a trite answer. It's like you just need to believe in yourself, you know. It's like okay. it's kind of peddling too much in easy answers. But I do kind of appreciate, again, this kind of, like, spirit of, you know, get confident, stupid. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this idea that it's, like, men are kind of allowed to be whoever they want to be. Mm. And you shouldn't kind of let yourself fall into your lower base instincts. Like, again, don't be sleeping in your living room, guys. Come on. (laughs) You have a bedroom for a reason. I make your bed every morning. Listen, when it's 9 o'clock and I'm watching hockey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna sleep where I want to sleep, okay? Because I, I'm confident I can do that. All right. <laughs> well, maybe this is a show for you, Greg. All right, maybe. Yep. It'll give me a chance to meet um, Jonathan Van Ness again. Ah, yes. Your second favorite gay Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Um, number one is of course um, Jonathan Groff, who famously is the voice of uh, of uh, Hans in uh, Frozen. Hans or. What? <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> John, hey, he was also in uh, that TV show, Looking, which was about uh, young gay men in San Francisco. What have you done for the gay community, huh? <laughs> I didn't make a boring show, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> looking was shots, boring. Bam, shots fired at, at Looking. <laughs> Look, I love Andrew Haig, but come on, that show was boring. <laughs> and you want to talk about white male privilege, like, oh, San Francisco, it's so hard to live here. <laughs> Video game designer, ugh, get out of my face. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to elicit any negative reaction. But these two shows, Nailed It and Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yes. Or Queer Eye for the... If you're like me and you cannot get enough of Jonathan Van Ness, then this is the show for you. Yeah, Yeah, and I should say, I said I met him once before. I saw him on the street and I thought, hey, here's a guy from a web series that I like. I'm going to give him some encouragement. You know, obviously (laughs) I wouldn't do that with... I don't know Adam Sandler or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, obviously he's he's not a big enough star. He's getting stopped constantly. But, yeah, you know, exactly. Well, now so. now, but now he's up in in the upper stratosphere. Absolutely. He's got fame. that. He's got that Netflix money. I know. He's also got a podcast. Did you know this? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's called uh, Just Curious. It's uh, he basically brings on experts about stuff he's just wondering about. Okay. It's like an interview show. All right. Does he have hilarious euphemisms for thing as he does on the show? Uh, uh what do you think, Greg? <laughs> I'm going to assume yes. <laughs> did you think Game of Thrones was an act cuz I sure did until I saw him on this show. <laughs> we mentioned Game of Thrones before on our uh, Game of Thrones bonus episode, so go check yes. that out. Mhm. Again, we're just we're full of good recommendations. Yeah. But I we have more. Greg, what do you have for spotlight? So, I wanted to spotlight a another movie about uh that shows man's relationship with animals. Um mm-hmm. not a horror film, but equally horrific. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And it is a classic French film called Oh Hazard Balthazar. Oh great. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> literally translated Balthazar at random. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this sounds like a um, fun time with the movie. <laughs> yes, this is a uh movie from nineteen sixty six by the by the brilliant French director Robert Besson. Do you know who that is? No idea. No. Okay. So he's one of these um <laughs> he's one of these uh let's say let's say stereotypical European filmmakers. Beret, pencil thin <laughs> mustache <laughs> Cigarette in a holder. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. On his moped with a baguette on the rack, you know, <laughs> muttering <around laughs> He carries around his director's chair just in case he needs to sit. Yeah. <laughs> and judge things. No, John. He's, he's stereotypical in that he does uh, miserable humanist dramas. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and in the case of Ohazar Balthazar, it's about um, not exactly about people, but a donkey. Oh. A donkey named Balthazar the most dramatic name you can give a donkey <laughs> yeah <laughs> well th- i i can't explain why the why the characters decide to name him that well it's because it's saintly really oh and so, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, what he does. Is he also in- includes a lot of religious imagery. And so um, basically it's about the horrible mistreatment of, well, I won't say portable, but the, the um, poor travails of this donkey as he's passed from owner to owner in this uh, French village. And we kind of see all the other drama going around with his, with his owners. Hmm. So it was the wiener dog of its day. maybe um i don't think it's as i don't think it's as uh strange as a todd salons movie but okay (laughs) but maybe in some respects it is because uh we follow they're first bought by a uh, french family maria and jacques uh maria actually is uh from the wrong side of the track she's poor and jacques is a little more rich and he just comes and visits this farm for the summer okay and they're th- these two are carrying a torch for one another, however they're separated, and then years later, um Jacques comes back, but now she's fallen for this bad boy. Oh. This bad boy named Gerard, who um who like all French kids is a is a real bastard. <laughs> he came riding in on his Mustang with his leather yeah. jacket. <laughs> I was like, well, he, Hey baby Yeah. <laughs> well you say Mustang he does ha- he does indeed have a leather jacket, Sean. <laughs> Do you want to go catch a ballet? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> No, it's more like uh, random acts of violence and, and just regular shitheadery. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, f- I find it very true to life. As somebody who lived uh, around the corner from a French school, yes, uh, all French <laughs> children are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, re- I remember when I visited you in that study abroad in London. Yeah. Like, oh, wow, these French kids are stereotypically awful. Good <laughs> <No. laughs> Yes, but uh, anyway, it's, it's really, uh, Balthazar is kind of the, the conduit through which we kind of see all these different plot lines. First, the romance with Marie, and then another uh, owner who's a drunk, but he comes to inherit money. And there's a there's a, a implication of murder in the town. And so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot about, it's like uh, the rules of the game, which we also looked at, um, a lot of plot complications. But I think what really attracted Bre- uh, Bresson to this particular story was that um, the donkey can literally express nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of that was kind of his trademark um he he used a lot of amateur actors, but also what he would also do is do fifty to like a hundred takes of a scene so that actors literally had no energy okay. and they were just giving nothing on screen and so that's actually one criticism I have I think that's a that's a detriment to the drama of the story like obviously you don't want you know actors to be histrionic and and acting ridiculously, but you know you want you want your actors to give something. <laughs> And when it's an actual kind of like animal who literally can't give anything to performance, I think it makes that kind of drama you know much more powerful. So well, but, you're really selling it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have another miserable French film to recommend, <laughs> but this one's not the best. <laughs> I just, well, no, it's I very just, low energy. <laughs> I just, I know it's a low energy job of a movie, um, but well, I just wanted to give my, my general impression of Robert Besson. We've never talked about him on this podcast, and we're obviously aspiring to him, are we not? I guess that's true. Yeah. So, so we're going to have to visit one of his films one of these days. Yes. We'll look at Pickpocket. We'll look at, you know, something oh, else. Oh, Pickpocket. I've actually heard of that one. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah it's, it's okay, but... <laughs> oh, great. <Yeah. laughs> Again, overselling it. <laughs> well, not overselling it. Again, I found, I found a lot to admire in this, mo- in this movie. movie. Okay. Yeah. So again, I wanted to, I wanted to heartily recommend it. So. Okay. As, as especially right. if you want to expose yourself to something new. Also, if you're an animal lover, again, I think, I think audiences will fall in love with Balthazar as they would with Benji or Airbutt. Mm. <laughs> if it doesn't have baking or gay guy makeovers, I just, I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you wanted the donkey to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they don't call it Queer Eye for a Straight Guy anymore. In one episode, they remake a donkey. Uh, And they turn him into a beautiful mule. (laughs) No, I I thought you really wanted the donkey to be like, oh, they bought the donkey. Guess what? He can can play soccer. (laughs) And he lifts the town spirits. (laughs) There's no rule that says a donkey can't play soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a fine film, and I wanted to... Again, I saw it alongside uh, Cat People on Filmstruck, so... Okay. I think people should check that service out. We're, we're not being paid by them yet, but one of these no. days. Yes. Uh, we, we think if we like, promote them enough, then eventually they'll have to. So yeah. once, they see the ba- once they get the aspiring snobs bump. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bumps, John. Yes. Why don't you give us a metaphorical fist bump saying, hey, I approve of your show. <laughs> exactly. By going to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast service of choice and mm-hmm. leaving us a review and giving us five stars. Maybe four if you're not feeling so generous but we really appreciate five yeah but john how will people know when a new episode's coming out i mean (laughs) the subscription service obviously give you a little notification but how else can people know that we have a new episode well they could follow us on twitter or they could like our facebook Hmm. page for new updates and events happening in your area (laughs) yeah (laughs) if we actually had news and events yes well john of course we have news of course we always have news yeah I have a book out. Again, we're just going to mention that every episode now to now until <laughs> infinity. <laughs> well, John, and we also have other big news. What's that? John, we have some big news here. We're going to watch another movie next week. <laughs> Who would have thought? What <laughs> yeah. next week? We'll be revisiting another Werner Herzog film. Ayo. We are going to be revisiting Aguirre, the wrath of God. And we will <laughs> look into the abyss and see that nothing stares back for all things are hollow, and all things lead towards entropy. My my accent's terrible. I apologize. I, know, I was <laughs> gonna say, keep going. <laughs> it's one of those impressions that you really gotta nail. <laughs> well, it's like otherwise you just look like a, like a fool. It's yeah. like Quist- it's like Christopher Walken. <laughs> uh, Greg, Christopher Walken, he's easy peasy, okay? <laughs> you just gotta give it that Brooklyn uh it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. Okay. <laughs> That was also equally terrible. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> look, give me a week. All right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll work Annual, it. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll test it on my open mic circuit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For now, I fold my arms and say no. But <laughs> Tuesdays at the Chuckle Hut, you can find me. <laughs> Our improv will be better than than this little <laughs> vignette we had. But <laughs> <laughs> what if Christopher Walken was not Cat People? I think it might look something like this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Aveda, you're, you're beautiful. And I just became t- um, John Travolta for some reason. See, that's the problem. The last movie I saw Christopher Walken in was like Hairspray, so I'm just getting them mixed up. <laughs> they danced the tango in that movie. Did you know that? It's fabulous. Uh, yes, I did. It's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. It's a mini Spotlight. Go see Hairspray. Hairspray's fun. Right. Well, until next time, keep those spirits up, guys. Yeah, and John, we'll, we'll figure out your ennui, all right? Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> I don't want your spirits down. All right. But again, thank you everybody for listening. Until next time, keep aspiring. You my life, and my world never looked so bright. Yeah, it's true. You'll bring out the best in you.